<laughs> Good morning, church. <clears throat> um, I'm relieved to be with you this week. Uh, I know um, we're in the habit of coming together and, and being being a, a body together, and so um, I just feel like this week I really needed to be here this morning. I don't know if you ever have those mornings, but that's, that's where I'm at today. So thank you for um, singing along together with me. I feel like our voices together... Um, God speaks different when we sing together than when it's just us on our own. So, what's that? You can't hear still? Okay, I'll talk louder then. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely talk loud. Um, I got those lock Stanford jeans. We got a big mouth. I am uh, glad to be together with you this morning. We have been walking through, um, we might say we we're walking through Passion Week backwards. But I use week uh, in a loose sense because we've really just been walking through one day-ish, one 24-hour period backwards. And we started this at Easter time. And at Easter, we celebrate the resurrection, which is a really awesome, great story that Jesus comes back from the dead. He's victorious over the grave and over sin and over death. And we have lots of reason to celebrate for that. It's the foundation of the Christian faith. And um, so we, we celebrate that. But we also began to ask the question that morning, how did we get here? How did we get to this moment of glory? How did we get to this message of glory and victory over death? Um, and we see and we have seen as we kind of hit rewind uh, on, on the story and we've taken a step back every week uh, that the glory came through anguish. That for the resurrection to, uh, to occur, Jesus actually was publicly executed on, on a cross as a criminal and was a criminal falsely accused in a trial that was really rigged from the beginning. And he got into the trial because some of his closest friends betrayed him and denied him in his hour of need. So we've taken a step back, and we've really, we've taken four weeks, or we, no, we're at five weeks, actually, five weeks walking through really one day. And we're going to get to the beginning of that day uh, together this morning, and the next week we're actually going to jump to the beginning of the week. So it's technically Passion Week, because everything will happen in that, but really we've just focused on this one day. So um, all of our past... All of our present and all of our future depend upon Jesus' resurrection. So that's why we've, we've tried to take this time to focus in on the resurrection. But we also acknowledge that the Bible and God see us as we are, and he's aware of sin in the world. And so he says, look, like I give you the life, but I also am aware that you live in the valley of the shadow of death. So that's what we've been doing with this series. And um, I'm... I'm really looking forward to having this conversation together with you. So as we begin, I'd invite you to pray together with me. It's been our habit to begin as this time of preaching, teaching, with praying together the disciples' prayer. And this isn't a magic formula. This isn't any kind of... Um, it's not any kind of spell, magic spell, that makes God do what we want. Uh, but it's instead, it's a, a model of prayer that Jesus left for us. The attitudes contained within, we saw last week in particular, are the things that should be shaping our whole lives. So it's easiest if we pray it together to use the same words. So the words are on the screen. And yeah, would you pause now and quiet your hearts and we'll pray together in this moment.
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you turn or navigate with me to Luke chapter 22? We're going to begin in verse 7. And if you want to use these blue Bibles, they're either tucked under your chair or the chair in front of you. And these blue Bibles is right on page 1100, 1100, 1100. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Navigate... It's funny, growing up in church, they always said turn, and now I feel like I have to say navigate because you might be tapping on your phone, which is great. Like, we've got so many different ways to access God's Word. <laughs> and the sun came up on this day, a normal day, um, and it was a holiday, and so that's where we begin in verse 7 of Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. There's a couple things I want to look at in just these couple of verses, because I think the heart of what we're doing, I don't normally, <laughs> I don't normally have this much of a structured outline in this sense, but my Baptist roots are showing. I've got three sections to the sermon, the setup, the sign, and the significance. So we're in the setup right now, but I think the, the setup actually gives us some more information about the sign and about the significance. So it's, this is a holiday. We don't celebrate Passover so much. This isn't something that's part of our cultural tradition, but it's a big feast day. People would travel far and wide. They would come to Jerusalem to have a big family meal together. It was usually prepared in your home. Um, but if you've traveled, if you've traveled into Jerusalem, you might have to find a hotel or something like that. And the disciples hadn't necessarily been staying in Jerusalem. They might have been staying in one of the villages outside of Jerusalem. So they come into Jerusalem, and this is the day where they have to sacrifice the Passover lamb. So part of the meal, the big, the big dish of the meal is the Passover lamb. And this all points back to the night that God delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, which is a fun conversation that we're going to have another time. But this is this remembrance, uh, celebration of the time that God delivered his people from the oppression of slavery. So they've, they've traveled, um, and they're basically, they also, like, they basically are always homeless. Everywhere Jesus and the disciples go, they don't really have a place to stay, and people kind of take care of them, and it's really neat. So Jesus says to Peter and John, say, hey, go, go prepare the Passover for us. And they're like, where do you want us, where do you want us to do that, Jesus? We've been... We, we, have, we don't have a place to stay. 
Like, we got we to gotta have dishes. We got to be able to keep things clean because kosher was a big deal. We got we to gotta find the lamb and we got to sacrifice it and we got to bring it back and we got to prepare it. We got to have a kitchen. We got we to gotta cook. I don't know if you guys have, have you guys ever done Airbnb? Like one of the most frustrating things about an Airbnb is when there are, they don't have the, the furnishings. So if I come to an Airbnb, I usually do that because we have to, our family is so large, we have to buy two hotel rooms, otherwise we're illegal. So if we go with an Airbnb, we at least have a kitchen, we can cook our own meals, we can save some money there. But if we go and they don't have pots and pans to cook with, it is incredibly frustrating. So the, these guys are on the road, they, they have some cookware, but they probably don't have enough to do like a Thanksgiving or a Christmas type meal. And Jesus says, hey, go, go, go cook, take care of that meal for us. I don't know what you want me to do, Jesus. Where do you want me to go? Which is an honest question. So Peter and John, they're kind of the top three. Um, and we know from last week that Peter would later deny Jesus. But in this time, Jesus has given him a special job. Like, hey, would you go and, and prepare this? And he says, all right, well, when you go into the city, you're going to see a guy carrying a jar of water and follow him to the house that he goes into and talk to the guy who owns that house and tell him, the teacher is looking for an upper room to have the Passover with disciples, and then you'll find it. You'll not only find it, but you'll find it furnished. You'll have the pots and pans. The coffee maker will be there. You don't have to worry about it. Like, all the important things are there ready for you. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, in our minds, we're like, Bible times, dude carrying a jar of water. That's kind of weird. We've got indoor plumbing. Like, sure. The thing that we don't pick up on is the fact that it's a guy a man carrying a jar of water. That actually should be the thing that we think is uncommon because typically it was uh, the, the women of the house, it was their job to go and collect water and to bring it into the city. It was um, something that they would do in groups. And so it was actually super unusual to see a guy carrying a jar of water. So Jesus says, you're going to go into town and you're going to see a guy carrying a jar of water. That's going to stand out to you. That's going to be like a guy wearing, I don't know, a glitter suit in the middle of downtown. They follow the guy in the glitter suit, and he's going to take you somewhere. But it's not just it's not just a guy in a glitter suit. It's not just some like distinguishing sign of this is going to stand out. There's not going to be many of these on the streets. This is a sign of a guy who's willing to lay aside his pride and cultural standing and serve his family. So we don't know. This is literally the, all the things that we know about this guy. He was walking through Jerusalem carrying a jar of water on his back. But we know that that was an unusual thing, and this was a guy who was willing to humble himself to serve his family, whatever the circumstances were, and to walk through in a public place and show, I know this is the woman's job, but I'm going to take care of this. Follow that guy to the place where he's going, and that household is going to be the one where we're going to have the Passover. There's, as we go on, I think that that will uh, stand out to you, too, as being important. It's kind of a goofy little GPS um, but I think it is really significant for the things that we're going to learn next. But as I'm, as I'm looking at that and as I'm considering that picture, the question comes to mind, do we trust Jesus with our next step? Peter and John, they're out following Jesus, they're, they're following his teaching, they're trying to help him out, they want to be obedient servants, and he says, hey, go prepare a Passover 
where do you want me to do that? That doesn't make any sense. You want me to go into town and I'm going to see this thing that I, I don't see very often and I'm going to go and find, I'm just going to find a place. I don't have to, I don't have to bring any money. Like it's just going to be taken care of. And I'm sure for James and John, leaving Jesus, they're like, I don't know. Let's go see what happens. But they went. And there are times where I think that we try to make things more complicated than they need to be. And we feel like we have to have um, a master's degree or a doctorate in order to be able to follow Jesus properly. And that's really not the case. Really, Jesus comes to each of us where we're at and just invites us to take the next step with him. Go into the city and follow the guy with the water. What? That's so silly. Okay, so that might not be your next step, but your next step might be like, hey, uh, there's these crazy Christians down the road. Go and spend some time with them and then start to share your story about the places where I've been with you in dark times. I'm, I'm pretty uncomfortable with that. I don't know. I don't know. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. People, I don't know if I can trust people with that. Just, yeah, it's just, just the next step. Or maybe it's, you've been engaged, you, like you trust these people, you're going with these people, but now I like want you to, to, to serve, like pick up, pick up a mop or pick up a broom or say, hey, how can I help? Like, God, what, is, what is doing more for other people going to do for me? It doesn't make any sense. But that might be just what our next step is. And I think like, the question that comes to my mind when I see things like that is, do we trust Jesus with our next step? whether it makes sense to us or not. I think we'll find that Jesus fills our ordinary lives with extraordinary meaning. Well, why would you say that, Michael? Well, I've got more verses to read. That's why I would say that. Um, Would you look with me in Luke 22, and we'll pick up in verse 14. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is finished, till it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. We'll pause there. So we, we looked at the setup, and now we're taking a look at the sign. And they, the hour came, it came time for dinner, and they go up to have this meal together. They all recline at table together, uh, which was how they ate. Like, there's nothing unusual about them kind of laying down at the table. That was, that was really common for them. But they're eating this Passover meal, and this is like sitting down to a, a regular, this is an annual feast. This is something they had done their whole lives. So these are 
30, 40-year-old guys that have done this every year for their whole lives. They did it with their mom and dad, and then when they got married, they did it with their kids. Like, this is a family tradition. This is something they've done every year. This is old hat. This can feel a little stale. They could cook the lamb. They could go and sacrifice the lamb and cook the lamb and prepare the meal from memory. They didn't even need the recipe cards anymore because they didn't, weren't even allowed to try any like new recipes. It was the same meal every year. And they had done it every year for their whole life. And so they sit down at the same old, ordinary meal that they had always had. And Jesus, he's, he takes the first cup And there were actually like four cups, usually, in how they did this. But he takes the first cup and he says, take this, divide it among yourselves. Uh, Or he says, um, excuse me, let me take, I I jumped to the wrong place on the page. (laughs) He said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I want to eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says, I'm so excited to to celebrate this, this feast with you before I suffer. What? I promise I'm not, I'm not going to eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. This is going to be my last one for a while. What? So, uh, there's, we all have in our family, like, that one uncle that, like, we don't usually ask to pray because you never really know what he's going to say. Like, Jesus is being that uncle right now. He, he just is like, I'm so excited that we're all here together. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer. And I'm not going to be able to take this Passover for a while. I'm really glad I get to eat it with you guys. Like, what? What are you even talking about? He gave thanks and he said, Divide this among yourselves and I tell you that I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, I'll just, can I just add a, a personal note here? Every time you've been, if you've been in a communion service, they have not read out of the book of Luke because of this. Luke is the only one that says there was more than one cup at the table at the time. Um, I did not know this. Actually, the first communion that I ever led, I was like, oh, well, I've never heard anybody do it out of Luke. I'll do it out of Luke. So I tried to lead the service out of Luke, and everybody was lost. It was really embarrassing. It was like my first time ever like getting to be in pastoral mode. And I'm in my head trying to explain, like, there's more than one cup. And everybody's like, this is really weird. I, didn't, I never heard this before. I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Um, and he, he goes like straight into talking about somebody's going to betray me. And that's kind of, it kind of is killing the vibe of this whole memorial thing that we're trying to do. It was a nightmare. I was super embarrassed. So like, that's why I, I'm glad we're just doing it on a Sunday morning. I can just explain to you. There were four cups in the traditional meal. He takes the first one and he says this really weird statement. And then he says, uh, he took the bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, which is not unusual. It wasn't unusual for them to take the bread and to pass it around. They'd done this every year for their whole lives. And then he said, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Um, Jesus? <laughs> Your body? Why, why do we have to remember you? You're, you're sitting right there. What do you mean, do this in remembrance of you? And our passage this morning, we read out of John 6, uh, Jesus lost a lot of disciples when he started talking about, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. Um, and this is the 12. These are the guys that have stuck with him through, thin, through thick and thin. And he's like, this is, this is my body. This is it. You're eating it. Uh, 
this ordinary meal, Jesus is now taking and filling it with a new significance for them. They've celebrated it every day or every year for, for, for their lives. And now he's saying, you always did this remembering what God did for Israel, delivering them from slavery. You're going to do this in remembrance of me and the slavery that I am going to deliver you from. But you don't get it yet because the night's not over. He knows what's getting ready to happen and he's preparing them for it and he's taking this ordinary thing that is really familiar to them and he's filling it with this extraordinary meaning. And Jesus fills our ordinary lives with extraordinary meaning. Even, even as he, is, he knows who's going to betray him, they're all at the table with him. Judas took the first communion at the Last Supper. And, and, and we call it the Last Supper because we know what happened, but they didn't get an RSVP to the Last Supper. It was just Passover, like they had always done. So Jesus entrusts himself to the Father through the depths of betrayal. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they'd eaten this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. My body and my blood. So, we're here this morning. Um, we're in, in church together this morning. We're, we're listening to this. Whenever we're listening to this, we're exploring faith. We're exploring Jesus, whatever that may mean. And I dare say our hand is on the table with Jesus as we learn about this image, as we learn about this thing that he left for us to do. Is our hand on the table with Jesus for good or for evil? Verse 21, behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. proximity to church and proximity to faith is not a substitute for faith. Proximity to people who say God things and make you feel good and tingly about stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you're following Jesus. Judas literally walked with Jesus and Judas literally heard every word he had to say for three years and Judas was there at the table eating this this thing that would become a monumental ceremony for us thousands of years later and he still is going to walk out and stab him in the back with a kiss is our hand on the table with Jesus for good or for evil Because Jesus fills our ordinary lives with extraordinary meaning. But the disciples don't get it. Like, they haven't gotten it yet, and they still don't get it. Because in verse 23, they begin to question one another. Which of them is be who is going to do this? Let's, let's, let's continue reading. Even a dispute arose among them in verse 24 as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. They're arguing about who's going to betray him, and then they want to know who's the best of them. And he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. 
For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus not only fills our ordinary lives with extraordinary meaning, Jesus fills our ordinary lives with extraordinary meaning by humbly serving the unworthy. He says, somebody here is going to betray me, and they argue about who it's going to be. And then they have an argue about who's the best. Like, no, 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 I'm the best. And you know Peter and John are like at the top of this. Like, we came, we cooked the meal. What do you mean y'all are better than us? Like, like we're going to wash the dishes afterwards too. Silly argument I've had in my family a thousand times. But here Jesus pauses and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. The, the, the way that the world works is that if you're in charge, then you get to like be in charge. But that's not how it works in my kingdom. In my kingdom, if you're going to be the greatest, then you have to, be, you have to act like you're the youngest. If, if you're the greatest, then you're going to be the one it serves. <clears throat> if you... Um, Who's the greater person in a, in a, in a meal? Is, is, the, is it the, the person who's sitting at the table being served? Or is it the person who is serving at the meal? Like when you go to a restaurant, like what's the status position that's assumed there? I'm the one paying the bill. I expect some great service. For better or for worse. But Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. And I think we did this last week, so I feel like I can, I can do it again. I want to fill in what Jesus is saying here by looking at a different biography of Jesus because we've looked and zeroed in on how Luke describes this. But, but John, as he makes a, writes a biography of Jesus, he gives us more explicit meaning as to what Jesus is talking about here because not only is Jesus saying, it's not it's like I'm among you as the one who serves, Jesus actually got up and served them at this meal. They, they had had the bread in the cup and, and Jesus got a washcloth and he got a towel and he girded himself like a servant, like a common house slave. And he went around the table and he washes each of their feet in John 13. And he, and he gets to Peter and Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. You're my teacher. You're my Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. He says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. He says, oh, well, then give me a shower, I guess. Like, he says, no, I don't need to give you a shower. just need to wash your feet. You're already clean. Do you remember the sign that got them into this room? A servant, leader, the man of the house carrying the water in. Jesus washes his disciples' feet, Judas among them, Peter among them. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is one who serves. But I am among you as the one who serves. And on this last night, 
of Jesus' time with them on earth in his body as it is at this time. He says, I have one more thing to teach you I don't think you've understood yet. It's not that I've come to be the greatest. It's not that I've come to amass a hundred million Twitter followers. It's not that I want to be recognized and I want people to have my face tattooed on their bodies. It's not that I've come to be the greatest religious teacher in the world. It's that I have come to serve the world. I didn't come to be an influencer and I didn't come to change or be the change that I wanted to see in the world even. I came to save the world. I did not come to critique. I didn't come whatever. I came to redeem and buy back and recreate what was broken. I'm not, I'm not changing masks. I'm doing plastic surgery. I'm not just changing the outside of the cup. I'm washing the inside. I'm not, I'm not just cleaning off your skin. I'm washing your heart clean. Jesus fills our ordinary lives with extraordinary meaning by humbly serving the unworthy. I suspect it was his greatest sermon. And will we serve the unworthy for Jesus' sake? Will we follow his example? Will we be led by his spirit to dirty places? Will we serve the unworthy for Jesus' sake? He left us these signs to do in remembrance of him. And actually this evening, we're going to be doing that. We're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to celebrate communion in a, in a first century style, modeled after what Jesus did here in, in the text. We'll take the bread and the cup together. We'll, we'll, we'll remember his death and his burial and his resurrection. And, and we'll wash one another's feet. We'll serve one another, unworthy as we are, by, by washing each other's feet. And we'll celebrate together with a meal. So That's at 5 o'clock tonight. <laughs> a simple thing. But if we can't do it among ourselves, in a safe place, with, with people that we can trust then will we be able to serve the unworthy outside these walls? Because Jesus fills our lives with extraordinary meaning by humbly serving the unworthy. Would you pray together with me? Lord, we need you even as your word shapes us, even as we come to know it better and, and by knowing it better, come to know you and your character better, we quickly become familiar with it and we quickly, quickly think that we already know what it is you have to say to us. So Lord, would you slow us down? Would you challenge us? 
in our spirit? Would you make us sensitive to your leading that we might serve those that you love tremendously? That you love literally to death. God, that love doesn't come from us. It's not something we can generate. It's not something we can fabricate. It's not something we can fake. I know my heart too well. Would you lead us into that kind of love? Would you forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors? It's in your name that we pray together. Amen.